This morning's Bible reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's verses 5 through to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever, the, whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Oh, get back. I'm normally much more stable. <laughs> Would you believe I can still walk on my hands? I can actually do it, but I'm not going to do it right now because that would be the last thing I did this morning. Um, what am I doing here? That's right, I'm preaching. I was thinking as we had the, uh, the Farmer Matt uh, instant before how much Farmer Matt and I have in common. Uh, we both love lemon meringue pie. That's uh, about as far as I go. But it did occur to me that we should throw it a challenge and uh, see if anyone could bake a carrot meringue pie. I thought that would be interesting and uh, that could be, mm, perhaps not. Uh, people have asked this morning uh, where Sue is, my wife. Uh, she actually is someone who uh, suffers from migraines from time to time and so she's uh, had one of those overnight so I left her in bed with toast and, uh, and a cup of coffee. I'm sure she'd appreciate your prayers. It just is one of those things that happens from time to time but she's not just skipping church for no reason. She, she actually had one. Uh, we're continuing today thinking about the whole nature of work and uh, last week I said the, um, the focus of the series while I'm thinking about employment, paid employment and the tasks we do, uh, the framework that we're really operating with is how do we serve God in his world. Uh, so it's, it's sort of a broader lens that we're thinking about, even though we will uh, focus and think through the whole nature of uh, uh, the way in which we do actually work in paid work or when we're uh, either employed or bosses in various situations. So uh, with that in mind, let me... Uh, pray and uh, we'll, we'll duck into it. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our time together. We pray that you'll be uh, graciously uh, helping us to understand your word, to think about how we serve you in this world and how we do it faithfully for your glory and honour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, actually, before I came, I googled work-life balance. Right? Work-life balance. I got three point. 9.5 billion hits in 0.55 of a second. I'm thinking this is a big issue in our culture. Uh, the whole nature of how we get uh, balance and perspective and attend to all the things uh, that we should be attending to in life. We all know about the challenge of overwork. It's actually endemic in Australia. There was a news poll survey where people were asked this question. Uh, do you spend too much time working and too little time with family and friends? 
Too much time working, too little time with family and friends. 80% of people agreed with the statement. In a follow-up statement, 90% said they thought family was more important than work. And yet the incongruity between those things, it's a struggle. In Australia, uh, currently 45% of employed adult men uh, spend more than 45 hours a week in their jobs. This was the stat that caught my attention. Between 1978 and 2012, the number of employed women working more than 45 hours a week doubled, doubled in that period. When it comes to annual leave, 30% uh, of Australians don't take their annual entitlement for leave, not the full entitlement. And this is all despite the fact that we know that overworking is detrimental to your health. Uh, so those who study these things reckon there is a direct correlation between overwork and obesity, alcoholism, drug addiction, mental health issues, and cardiovascular disease. It's interesting, isn't it? Just a struggle to get it right. That's a one side of the, the equation, but on the other side, uh, we know about the reality of the challenge of unemployment or underemployment. It's interesting, in recent years, we've started measuring the issue of underemployment. People who'd like to be working more, uh, but can't get the hours. And of course, that's a part of the casualisation of the workforce. Uh, which has suited many in employment situations to be able to adjust the length of time that people are working. But the implications for those who are employed is dramatic because there's an uncertainty about uh, the number of hours you'll be working, the income you'll be receiving, and how long you'll actually have the job for. It places people under stress. Uh, during COVID, it's been interesting to see the number of people who now work from home. And of course, for a percentage of people, that works brilliantly well. Those of us who are introverts uh, think this is Christmas, you know. Uh, but for lots of people, it's not so good. Uh, for lots of people, they've missed uh, the regularity. And it's actually highlighted the difficulty of working out when they are working and when they're at home, because they're doing both in a home setting. Uh, I've got a son with uh, two preschoolers. And he was working at home with a wife who was a doctor who was going off to work, couldn't go, and he was holding down a full-time job on Zoom while trying to care for two preschoolers, you know. And he looked slightly more stressed than normal when I caught up with him, and I, I know the reason why. We all know the nature of pressures. It can be really hard to maintain perspective. Last week, we explored some of the ways in which I think we look for our meaning and satisfaction and purpose in the area of work. And today I want to keep exploring what God has to say about work. Our attitudes, our approach, and can I say whether you are in paid employment or not, whether you're uh, in employment or retired or a stay-at-home parent or unemployed or a student, I think God has something to say to all of us about how we actually serve him. Okay, so let's get into it. Firstly, I want to sort of step back and ask, what does the Bible say about vocation or calling? Uh, what does the Bible say about vocational calling? So I looked up the dictionary definition of vocation. It'll come up on the screen. It came out like this. A strong feeling of suitability for a particular career or occupation. Uh, when it comes to calling, again, the dictionary de definition, a strong urging towards a particular way of life or a career. Uh, 
in modern Australia, having a job or a career that you enjoy is seen as a critical element to actually living a happy life. You know, it's a, it's a real bonus at that point. In fact, so important, we actually employ people whose job it is to tell us what job it is we should be doing. Uh, or most people who are going through high school these days, they do extensive psychometric testing to work out their gifting, to try and work out how to narrow them into fields of employment that they'll find fulfilling. I remember there was a, a guy I worked with at Trinity for a number of years whose high school son... Uh, was getting, he was in year 12 and did all this psychometric testing through his school and uh, then got his report back saying he was ideally suited to be an undertaker, okay? <laughs> That's what every 17-year-old male wants to hear. Undertaking is your job, son. You know, go for it. Okay. But it is actually sensible to work out what your gifts are and to enjoy work if you can. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, again, it'll come up on the screen. A person can do nothing better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toil. Good thing, if you can get that. But how does the Bible address this question of calling? Christians uh, actually assume it's sensible to get a job that lines up with their gifts. We are common sense sort of people. But I think Christians have an additional question that kicks into the equation. And the question is this. Uh, for serious Christians, I'll be saying, what job does God want me to be doing? Okay, what God, job does God want me to be doing? Now, I don't think that's a bad question. Uh, but when you read the Bible, it's not the question the Bible actually asks us to address, interestingly enough. It's not a prominent question. So I want to ask, what does the Bible say about calling? How is it used? Right? So we're stepping back asking a wider thinking sort of question before we dive in a bit further. The word calling is used over 50 times in the New Testament and it's used in a range of different ways. I'm going to throw up some of them very quickly on the screen so you can get the framework. Firstly, as we read through the New Testament, we discover that God calls people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 the one, that is God, who calls you, he is faithful and he will do it. Uh, God calls people in relation to himself. Christians are described as called ones. So Romans 8 verse 28, uh, it talks about God's people being called according to his purpose. So you could describe yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, or you could call yourself a called one. Both would mean exactly the same thing. God calls people into relationship with himself and he does it through the gospel. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, he called you through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So understand that hearing and responding to the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection is the way God brings people or calls people in relationship with himself. But then here's the cash value question. What is it that God calls us to do? Right? What does he call us to do? In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7, we're told God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The Bible doesn't talk about being called to a particular job. There are a couple of points where you see a Apostles are called into apostleship. 
you see that at the start of Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 1. But generally, the idea of calling is not applied to employment at any point in the New Testament. That is, God, as far as we can tell in the Bible, he doesn't call people uh, to be garbage collectors or street sweepers or nurses or factory workers or pastors or doctors. When it comes to the New Testament, our vocation is to honour God, the one who called us in relation to himself, and to do that in all of life. Right? That's the calling that we have. Now, what I'm going to do for just a few moments is to throw a couple of diagrams up on the screen to see if I can crystallise these ideas um, for us before we move on. And uh, if you want these, don't try and jot them down. It'll, it'll, they'll go too quickly. Uh, but I can send them through to you. Just, just focus when they come up on the screen. So here's the first diagram. Now, this is the way I think our Western world views vocation or calling. That is, vocation or calling, it equals a job. And the big question we're asking, the key question is, what job am I suited to, right? Very straightforward. Okay. This second diagram I'll throw up, I've called this the, um, uh, the pseudo-Christian view. That is, it sort of seems Christian, but it's not really, uh, view of thinking about. So the, essentially, it's the same view as the world. That is, we think about vocational calling being equated to a job. Right? That's often the way Christians approach it, I think. And the key, key question, though, is it changes because we're believers. It becomes, what job does God want me to do. Now, again, let me say, I don't think it's a bad question, right? Not a bad question, but it's just not the Bible's question, okay? So let me move on to the third diagram, which is where I've tried to capture what I think is a Christian view of calling. So when you look at this diagram, everything we do in life is meant to be for the glory of God, okay? So when it comes to calling, it's being a Christian, all of life. And that applies to whether you're a neighbour or a child or a parent or a retiree or a spouse or a worker or a student or whatever it is. We're trying to work out how to live faithfully for God in every aspect of what I do. And so that's the key question. How do I faithfully serve God in all of life? Now, I, I'm not just trying to paint esoteric pictures <laughs> you know what the Bible is saying at this point. I actually personally have found this enormously helpful uh, because what it does is it stops me either overemphasizing or underemphasizing my work. Because work, uh, like retirement, like parenting, like anything else, is just one element of the mosaic that is the picture of living a life for the glory of God. Now, understand that people do talk about, and they Google like I did, uh, the whole question of work-life balance. But understand that the, the biblical question or framework is to think about the God-life balance. Okay, the God-life balance. Now, can I say, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, wouldn't count yourself a Christian, uh, can I just challenge you to think about the way in which the Bible frames the whole of the world, where we fit into the world under God, and whether this framework actually makes a lot of sense of the whole of life. Um, our nature as people is to be like Matt the carrot farmer, right, and to focus more intensely on one particular aspect of life. 
uh, because it pays back. We grow bigger carrots, fatter carrots, longer carrots, you know, and it, so we tend to just bury ourselves in that direction. It doesn't need to be work. It can be anything, actually, uh, but that's the risk, whereas the Bible keeps calling us to step back and think about how we live for the glory of God. Now, but because this series is about work, uh, what I'm going to do is focus on that aspect of it as we move into our, our second part of the talk, okay? So that's the picture. Now I'm narrowing down my facts, but I want you to understand that's exactly what we're doing as we press on from here. How does our calling affect one aspect of our lives' work? How does it affect my, my job? Now at this point, I want to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, which was the passage that we had read before. So if you've got that available to you on your phones or in uh, the old paper version, then uh, great time to pull it up. Now, let me put it in context. Uh, the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, they really focus on calling. That is, the blessings we have because we're called into a relationship with God. Then you get to chapter 4, and it starts to be applied. What does it mean to live as called people? That's why you get this transitional verse in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, as a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Chapters 1 to 3, all about your calling. Chapters 4 to 6, all about living out that calling. And it's interesting, as you read through these chapters, you can go and do that later, what you discover is uh, living worthy of the calling applies in all sorts of situations. So it talks in Chapter 5 about husbands and wives living worthy of their calling in marriage. It talks about the way in which parents live worthy of their calling and the way they parent their kids or kids in relation to the way they treat their parents. At different points, it talks about the fact that you, you have a transformed life. Val was talking about the transformation the gospel made in her life. Chapter 4 talks uh, about the fact that if you used to be a thief, better not to do it anymore. In fact, use uh, the way in which you use your hands to create uh, resources for other people to use. Be kind, be generous. It speaks about speaking lovingly, to other people. This is all working out the calling that you've received in practice on the ground as you live life. Then when we get to chapter 6, uh, Paul turns his attention to the relationship between slaves or bond servants and masters. And the question is, how do I live out my calling as a Christian slave? How do I live out my calling as a Christian master? Now let me stop and just um, step back from that for a moment, because as soon as we hear any talk of slavery, there are images that get conjured up in our mind. We go back to uh, 19th century, the black slave trade and the abuses of that in different ways. Remember, we're talking about the first century um, slavery or bondservant context. So in the Roman Empire, around half the empire were slaves, and the idea was much more of a bonded worker type situation rather than that sort of 19th century slave idea. So first century Roman world, uh, slaves could be doctors, uh, civil servants, bankers. They could manage very significant households. Often they got paid and were able to keep the money they received in terms of their payment, which is the way in which they could, in due course, uh, bind their way out of their servitude in different ways. So it is, it's a very different sort of context. Second thing I want to say is, it's interesting when you read through the New Testament, it doesn't say much about workers. Have you ever noticed that? Hardly anywhere that I can find does it speak about workers. Now, why is that? I mean, if half the empire were slaves, the other half weren't, 
There's plenty of scope for talking about it. Uh, I take it it's probably not the big issue like it is for us in 21st century Australia, employment. It's just not the dominant lens that was being looked through. It's not irrelevant. It's just not as dominant as we think through. So let's keep it in mind. I think there are, though, a number of transferable principles when it comes to uh, slaves and masters, and we'll look at those together. So when we come to this uh, passage in Chapter 6 about slaves and masters, there are a few key things that pop up that are worth noting about the way in which we think about employment. Firstly, uh, when you become a Christian, you get a new boss. Right? You get a new boss. So if you're a Christian, whether you're an employer, an employee, a stay-at-home parent, unemployed, retiree, work from home or go into the office, whatever your situation is, God is always the boss you serve. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Obey your earthly masters, bosses, with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart as you would obey Christ. Serve wholeheartedly, verse 7, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So understand if you're, you're a boss and you're at a company with 100 employees or you're the lowest down on the totem pole in the workplace setting, if you're a believer, we all serve the same master, the Lord. He's always the boss of you, whatever situation you find yourself in. This passage establishes the new goal, though, that we have at work as well. Now, I've often heard, a bit like, again, the kids' talk, which was so good this morning, uh, I've often heard Christians say people will identify that we are believers because of the excellence of our work. Right? Now, I'll come back to that in just, just a moment, but I want you to pick up, first of all, that in this, cha this chapter, Ephesians 6, it's much more about character and attitude than the quality of our work. Verse 5, respect, obey your earthly master. Verse 5, do it with sincerity of heart. Verse 6, not just to win their favour when their eye is on you. Uh, understand that if you're a believer, when you, whether your boss is in the office or not, doesn't affect your output and your faithfulness. It's the same when it comes to bosses. It's the character that you're meant to demonstrate. Verse 9, masters, treat your, your slaves in the same way. You see, it works in both directions. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it talks about doing good uh, to all people, whatever your status in life. So if you're a boss or a manager or a supervisor, uh, if you're a Christian, you'll be known for your grace, your fairness, your generosity, your humility. That will be what will shine through to others. You see, the whole idea is that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're meant to display the character of God to a watching world. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, uh, we're told there that it's God's intention that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That's a corporate sort of idea there. Uh, but I take it that's the way in which believers are meant to operate. Um, sometimes I've been at uh, wine tasting. If you go into a cellar door, they give this little th thimble full of wine uh, to taste in the hope that you'll buy bottles. You know, it's, it's that sort of idea. And I think the image is very similar uh, for people as they watch believers in this world. 
They're meant to be able to observe the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and be attracted to the God that we serve. What does that look like in the workplace? It seems to me the believers in the workplace, they won't be known as gossips or people who put down others. They'll always be people who are willing to lend a hand to others who are getting buried by jobs. They'll never be known as those who tread over the top of people to get promotion and sacrifice other people around them. When people are going through a tough time, they'll always be the ones who stop and lend a listening ear and have a kind word to say to people. It's character that we're talking about. So will we be excellent at work? Notice the instruction in verse 7 is to work wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. So the idea here is faithfulness, not excellence. You see, will will we be the best at our jobs because we are Christians? Well, actually, you might be. As I wander around the Trinity Network, uh, we actually do have a fair number of people who are you know, uh, professors or judges or university academics or wealthy or significant business owners or, you know, incredibly high achievers. You know, we had one guy in one of our churches who got, you know, 99.95 in the ATAR score that just came out, you know, who, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's clever, you know, and he's Christian. <laughs> he did both. So I'm not saying that won't happen, but it does depend on your gifts, it seems to me, as to whether you're going to be excellent at uh, what you do. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned I worked as a lawyer for three years. You know, was I the best lawyer in Adelaide when I stopped working after three years? No, I wasn't. Was I the best third-year lawyer in Adelaide when I stopped working as a lawyer? No, I wasn't. And you, the reason for that, there are other people who were clever, cleverer than I was. There are other people who that's all they did, and so naturally they were better lawyers than I was because they just devoted themselves to it. You know, I was faithful, uh, but not not best. I remember talking with uh, someone who was in the banking industry, uh, essentially, and started working out this idea of faithfulness as a banker. And they were saying to me, there was like a light switch turned on, where I went from having this huge career advancement goal to thinking, what does faithfulness look like? And at that point said, so what I'm going to do is work faithfully, you know, for my 40 or maybe 50 in the busy weeks, you know, because you want to actually lend a hand, not just be a clock watcher, but, you know, be work as faithfully as I can with this time and do as well as I possibly can with that, that allocated time because of the other things that I need to do with life to honour the Lord in a faithful sort of way. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That is faithfulness when it comes to working out employment. So how should we think as believers about career advancement or climbing the ladder? How do you you work that one out? Uh, There's a guy that I've known for many, many years who was an elder of the church in the city. I'll call him George, not his real name, but uh, I remember one time I was out in the yard after church and someone came up to me and uh, they said, have you heard about George? And uh, I wasn't sure if I had or not, but I said, yeah, keep going. He said, George just received this mega 
promotion in his company, and he is now Mr. Sort of whiz bang engineer for the whole of Southeast Asia, right? He had huge employment. And, uh, and here's the interesting thing I used to catch up with George weekly, right? To have coffee, read the Bible, talk about what was going on in our lives, and he hadn't mentioned it to me. But I thought, it's okay, he will, right? He'll mention it to me, you know? Next coffee, we caught up. How's it going, George? How's the family? You know, how's work? <laughs> and uh, he said, "Good, good." And I think he's not going to tell me. I said, "George, you know, someone told me in church the other day you received this sort of mega promotion at work." And uh, and he said, "Yes, that's right." He said, "That's right, brother. I did." And uh, I, I said, "Why didn't you tell me?" He said, "Oh, brother," he said. If it had been important, I would have told you. <laughs> it's a lovely sort of self-effacing thing. So his thing, one on 12 months later, same guy came out to the yard and said, have you heard about George? I said, maybe, maybe not, you know, like, let keep going. You know, he said, you know that sort of mega job that George had? He's, he hasn't got any more. Something's gone wrong, you know. George hadn't told me. So we caught up, you know, I think that week, coffee. I said, how's it going? How's the family? Good. How's work? Good. He's not going to tell me, you know. And I said, George, someone told me you've lost that, that job you had. You know, what's going on? He said, oh, he said, brother. He said, I was in it for 12 months and it was just exhausting. You know, I was spending so many hours on it trying to make it work. Uh, it was drawing me away from my family and caring for them, uh, from stuff I was doing around church and all that sort of stuff. So I went back to my boss and I said, I don't want this job anymore. I want my old job back. And so that's why he'd gone back to his old job. And then he said to me, and brother, if it had been important, I would have told you. <laughs> so I thought, so if you want to you know, put your pastor down, that's the way to do it. Um, it was just a, yeah, he had the right sort of thought about where it fit. I know a woman who has her own business, works about a day, day and a half a week, sometimes two. Uh, now, she is one of the Australia's leading professionals in the area of her skill. Could have built quite a large company and sort of dominated this field in different ways, but has chosen not to do that. And the reason she's chosen not to do that uh, is because she had ageing parents that she wanted to care for, uh, she had children that she wanted to invest in. She had church ministry and evangelistic things that she wanted to keep doing. And she just figured she couldn't do it all. See, that's working out faithfulness on the ground, given the big picture of the way in which we function under God. See, our main goal at work, it, it isn't to climb the ladder... The main goal at work is not to achieve a sense of self-esteem or fulfilment or wealth. Actually, the main goal is not even enjoyment. That's not it at all. They're just byproducts. Never the goal. Right? Byproducts, not the goal. So let me change the lens again. If you're unhappy in your work, should you, get, should you have a look around for another job? Right? How should you approach that? Now, can I say it's a good thing? We, we read earlier from Ecclesiastes, it's a good thing if you can enjoy your work. And we live in a society where you actually have freedom to change uh, jobs as well. But can I say, in my observation, often people are changing jobs uh, for the wrong reasons. 
uh, hoping that the work will provide a greater sense of completion. But in the end, that's something only God can do. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, here Paul, is, uh, Paul the Apostle is talking about whether slaves, again, um, should be seeking to be free of their masters if they have that option. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Well, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord, you know, when they became a Christian, he is the Lord's free person. The slave is the free person. And similarly, the one who is free when a slave, when they are called, has actually made themselves a bondservant to the Lord. Do you understand? Both slaves and free are both bondservants to the Lord. That's where their understanding, their self-identity comes from. Do you get the picture? See, every job, every stage of life has its challenges. You know, whether you're uh, in a workplace setting with the boss from hell or the boss who, whose employees think they're doing you a favour by turning up and <laughs> putting in some hours, uh, or the challenge of reinventing yourself in retirement, maybe feeling presumed upon by your family, or maybe even being looked down upon or feel you're being looked down upon because you're a stay-at-home parent. Uh, I remember one time coming home when Sue was uh, a stay-at-home parent full-time and uh, she'd had an incredibly hard day, three preschool kids. She said they were just running amok. So at one stage she said, I got them all together, lined them up <laughs> and sort of read the riot act to them. She said, I said to them, I am not your slave. Uh, at which point, the, one of our children, I won't name this child, <laughs> then, uh, then said in his philosophical sort of way, well, I've narrowed it down to two now, but uh, his philosophical way, he said, mothers are a bit like slaves. <laughs> That's what every mother wants to hear. Huh? Yeah. Friends, our fulfilment... Our fulfilment is actually tied to our calling. We are in Christ always. That's, that's the lens. Can you see, when it comes to the way in which we think about life in this world, including jobs, we actually have a different goal. Uh, most, most people in uh, the workplace settings, they have annual appraisals, uh, maybe 360 reviews, and promotions, pay increases, often they depend on those sort of reviews. At the end of the age, the Bible tells us that we will have a 360 review. We'll stand before God and we'll have a 360 review before our heavenly boss. And this is the way it will work. Ephesians 6 verses 8 and 9. You know that the Lord, that is the big boss, he will reward each one for whatever good they do. When it comes to believers, we're motivated uh, not just for a pat on the back from our bosses or shareholders or more money or more recognition or more responsibility. We actually lift the approval of our Heavenly Father, who is our big boss. And we do that in all of life. We live 
really for that last day in order to hear his appraisal when he says to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the bell that keeps ringing in our heads no matter what we do with our days. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do. Uh, we thank you that, actually, as we read your word, it reframes all of life. It helps us to think about uh, the nature of how we live in this world for your glory and honour. And Father, we know that we get enmeshed in the details and caught up in the things that we're doing. Often it's really hard to step back and get perspective. Uh, but Father, we pray that you'll keep helping us to do it, um, to think through how it is we honour you day by day, to glorify your name, to see you honoured. Uh, Father, we pray that in your kindness you'll help us to live and work out faithfulness and wholeheartedness no matter what we're doing, to look for our relationship with you to provide our core sense of identity and purpose and meaning and that, that will drive us, assure us, bed us down uh, for the work of serving you in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.